Welcome to Windsor Baptist Church. In Psalm 147, it says, Praise the Lord, how good it is to sing praises to our God. How pleasant and fitting to praise him. Let's praise God together by standing and singing two songs of praise. The first one will be Name of All Majesty. This song draws from many different parts of the Bible and declares Jesus is Lord. Please stand to sing when the music begins.
going to lead us as a congregation together in prayer, and as I do, I want to this morning in particular give thanks to God for the life of Marjorie Calder. If you picked up your buzzline on the way in, the first item in buzzline is a tribute to Marjorie. Marjorie passed away uh, on Wednesday morning, and her funeral was here on Friday uh, afternoon. Um, it's a relief for Marjorie, obviously, who was um, suffering and in distress from time to time as a consequence of uh, her illness and disease. And we're grateful to God for his goodness to her, and we're grateful to God for allowing us to have Marjorie as part of this church. And we will miss her terribly, because uh, those of you who got to know her, or she got to know you, as was more often the way around, uh, will have appreciated her wisdom and her prayerfulness and her faithfulness. And she has certainly served us as a church here wonderfully in many, many ways not least as a model of faithfulness to God. And for that, we are hugely grateful to God for the privilege of knowing Marjorie and having her as part of the church here. You can read the whole of the tribute that Roy brought at the uh, funeral service. Part of it was written by Marjorie in the sense that she and I talked some years ago about her funeral and about the fact that there was a lot of her background that none of us really knew very much about, so she typed it all out for me so that we would have it as a resource, which was just absolutely typical of Marjorie. We want to pray very especially too for Catherine. This is a very big change for her. The Marjorie and Catherine have been inseparable friends for many years now. And this is a massive and major readjustment for Catherine to life uh, on her own. And those of you who know Catherine will know some of the challenges that that represents. So as we worship God together this morning, we want also to give thanks to God for the gift of Marjorie Calder among us and commit Catherine to God's care and God's grace. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we come and we worship you, and we have been doing so this morning by acknowledging that Jesus is Lord. Lord Jesus, we come and we seek your help and your grace in our time together and seek the help and ministry of the Holy Spirit amongst us. May his ministry this morning help us in our worship and in our praise, may it help us in our understanding, and may he strengthen us for all that lies ahead. Our Father in heaven, we worship you as a God of mercy and grace, a God of goodness and kindness. We have known much of it in our lives, and we have known much of it here in church life in Windsor through the gift that you gave to us in Marjorie and her contribution to the life of the church here. We thank you for a life well lived. We thank you for a life dedicated in commitment to glorifying Jesus Christ. And we thank you for all that she brought to our lives in the church here. We thank you for the model that she was of Christian commitment, the model of prayerfulness, and the model of faithfulness in church and other Christian activities. And we give you thanks for your mercy to her in recent days at the close of her life and at the end of her illness. And thanks too for all the people who have been there to support her and to help her and to nurse her. And we just give you thanks and praise for all the ways in which we have seen, even in the sadness of Marjorie's condition and her passing, many, many signs of your grace and your love and mercy. Our Father, we remember very especially this morning uh, Catherine, who will no doubt be thinking of us and no doubt considering still 
the loss of her very dear friend, Marjorie. We pray for Catherine. There are many decisions she will have to make and many issues she will face now that life is going to be different. We pray that you will give her the grace and the strength to make whatever decisions she needs to make and whatever changes and alterations to life that are going to happen for her. We commit her to your care and to your grace. And we pray for her and we pray for all in this church who were especially close to Marjorie and who drew great strength from their friendship with her. While all of us knew her, there were others who had the opportunity of knowing her more intimately and sharing that kind of Christian fellowship with her which comes from a deep friendship. And we pray for them as well and for the cousins and other family members. Lord, at times like this, there is the challenge and the opportunity for us to think about our lives and our values and the things that really matter to us. And as we give you thanks for Marjorie and pray for Catherine, we pray that you would help us to reflect and be wise. We pray, our Father, for the children who will be leaving for junior church shortly. We ask your blessing upon them and upon those who will be teaching them. We thank you for all of them. And we pray that their time together might be a really blessed time this morning. And that for those of us who remain here in this room, we might know your presence, your help and your blessing as we consider your word together and as we remember the Lord Jesus Christ and his death for us on the cross. Father, there is in our hearts a deep sense of gratitude and thankfulness to you for all the many ways in which we have seen and experienced your mercy. Most of all, in the gift of life given to us through your son's death on the cross on our behalf and in our place. For this and all your gifts, we give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Hannah Young has been leading our service so far, and some of the other young people will be taking part. And it would help if I had my announcements the right way up. Um, you're very welcome indeed to Windsor, as Hannah said. Uh, it's good to see the church filled this morning. I'm sure there are quite a few visitors in, and we do hope that you'll feel at home with us. Uh, welcome also to those who are listening to a recording of the service, especially uh, those who are overseas. David, uh, one of our pastors, will be preaching this morning. And then at 4 o'clock this afternoon, the preaching and leadership workshop will meet, I think, at Clan Rye. And then the evening service starts at 7 o'clock, and David will again be the preacher. Do come back if you can. This morning we are going to listen to what Matthew has to say to us in chapters 19 and 20. It will be helpful if you could turn to the passage now. You'll we'll find it on page 936 of the Three Bibles. Today you will have the opportunity to overhear a conversation between Lazarus and his two sisters, Mary and Martha. Matthew 19 verse 1 tells us that Jesus and the disciples went to the area east of the Jordan. We have assumed that Lazarus went to meet them. It would not have been very far from Bethany where Lazarus and his sisters lived. We will listen to their conversation just as Lazarus arrives home. He has gone on ahead of Jesus and the disciples who are making their way up from Jericho to Bethany on their way to Jerusalem. Of course, we don't know if this conversation ever took place, and we don't know whether you will agree with our interpretation of some of the events. If you don't, blame David, not us. Hey, you two. Any food left for Hungry Traveller? Hi, lad. Good to see you back. 
Yeah, plenty. Come and join us. How was the trip? Amazing, as you'd expect when travelling with Jesus. He seems to just keep turning everything upside down. Well, at least he turned you the right way up. Mary, I'm not sure that comment isn't very good taste. Really. <laughs> She's right, Martha. What happened with me turned everyone's expectations upside down? But he keeps doing it in all kinds of ways. Okay, so what's been happening this time? I met up with all of them just east of the Jordan, where Peter said they would probably be the week before coming to Jerusalem for Passover. The Pharisees turned up. They tried to get him into trouble with the locals about marriage and divorce, but they didn't want to blow on Jesus. He just stuck to the scriptures. He did fairly shake up his disciples, though. What do you mean? Most of them are married. I don't think any of them are divorced. Well, not as far as I know. Well, they may be married, but they thought Jesus was a bit unrealistic. The way it is, they think that just because Jesus isn't married, he doesn't understand marriage, and the usefulness of controlling women by threat of divorce, they don't understand me either. Yeah, and you certainly can't threaten to divorce the woman in your life. He wouldn't survive a week without us. He needs you to pick and clean for him, and me to keep him humble. Oh yeah, me to cook and clean, and you to sit and witter in the corner as usual. Lazy sorts. <laughs> hey, that's enough, you two. The thing that shook the disciples up was that Jesus seemed to imply that not marrying was as great as thing as marrying. He didn't. That's not a popular position to take on here. Sure, everyone thinks we're all a bit weird, none of us married, and still living together as family. Well, I think I probably understand why he feels so at home here with us. It never occurred to me before. When he stays with us, there's no more silly when you get in a woman, not not wink wink trouble. <laughs> Well, what exactly did he say? Let us read together what happened in Matthew chapter 19, verses 8 to 12. Jesus replied, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because your hearts were hard, but it was not this way from the beginning. I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for marital unfaithfulness, and marries another woman, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if this is the situation between a husband and wife, it is better not to marry. Jesus replied, Not everyone can accept this word, but only to those to whom it has been given. For some are eunuchs because they were born that way, others were made that way by men, and others have renounced marriage because of the kingdom of heaven. The one who can accept this should accept it. I think it's the way that makes the kingdom of heaven the most important thing. That explains why he keeps turning everything upside down. Yes, he keeps most of the traditions of Moses, but there's something very different. When he talks about the kingdom of heaven, he shows up the difference between being just religious or being passionate about serving God. Exactly. Imagine him actually saying that some of them renounced marriage for the kingdom of heaven. I can see why it threw the disciples into confusion. Yeah, but that was only the start. The disciples had a rough time with Jesus over those few days. So the Pharisees kept hounding him? No, they cleared off back to Jerusalem. I reckon they went to plan what they would do with him when he arrived from Passover. They're pretty mad at him, my friend. No, it was Jesus giving the disciples a hard time. I don't mind confessing that I struggled with some of the things he was saying and doing. Let's read the next section, Matthew chapter 19, verse 13 to 30. Then the little children were brought to Jesus for him to place his hands on them and pray for them. But the disciples rebuked those who brought them. Jesus said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Now a man came up to Jesus and asked, Teacher, 
What good thing must I do to get eternal life? Why do you ask me about what is good? Jesus replied, There is only one who is good. If you want to enter life, obey the commandments. Which ones? The man inquired. Jesus replied, Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony. Honor your father and mother and love your neighbor as yourself. All these I have kept, the young man said. What do I still lack? Jesus answered, If you want to be perfect, go, sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Then Jesus said to his disciples, I tell you the truth, it is hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Again I tell you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were greatly astonished and asked, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, With man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Peter answered him, We have left everything to follow you. What then can there be for us? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, at the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits in his glorious throne, you who have followed me will sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. I'd love to have seen that bit with the children. I bet Peter's nose is very loud with joints on that one. Yes, he means well, but he's a bit of fish at times. A bit of a shopper, all right. I bet the mums were chuffed. Not half. It got a big discussion going among us as we walked along about who really counts in God's eyes. It was quite something to meet the rich kid and then watch Jesus let him walk away. Tell them tell us that it was hard for the rich to enter the kingdom of heaven. We're right, Ruthro. We're right, Ruthro. How did Peter take Jesus' comment about the last being first and the first last? Was Jesus taking a dig at him? He does like to be the head of the posse. Well, Jesus told a story to illustrate what he was getting at. It seemed to me that he wasn't having a dig at Peter. He simply seemed to be implying that in the kingdom of heaven, people are accepted on equal terms and inequalities are ironed out by God's mercy. Jesus told the story of a landowner. Follow with me as I read Matthew chapter 20, verse 1 to 16. For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire men to work in his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. About the third hour he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, You also go and work in my vineyard and I will pay you whatever is right. So they went. He went out again about the sixth hour and the ninth hour and did the same thing. About the eleventh hour he went out and still found others standing around. He asked them, Why have you been standing out here all day long doing nothing? Because no one has hired us, they answered. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When the evening came, the landowner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going on to the first. The workers who were hired about the eleventh hour came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, but each of them also received a denarius. When they received this, they began to grumble against the landowner. These men who were hired last worked only one hour. They said, And you have made them equal to us and have borne the work, the work of the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, Friend, I am not being unfair to you. Don't you agree 
to work for an denarius, take your pay and go. I want to give the man who's hired the last the same as you. I don't, don't I have the right to do with what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? So the last will be first and the first will be last. So, was Jesus saying that at the end of the day we'll all be treated equally by God? Yes, that's what I understand. That's another poke in the eye for all those who go on all the time about us three not being right. Like we're some kind of freaks or cursed by God. Sure is. I imagine that story would put an end to that who's the greatest debate among them. Isn't that so childish? I hate the way they jostle for the best seat at the table when they're here. Well, it should have put an end to those conversations, but I'm afraid it didn't. James and John's mother arrived. She did. What was she doing there? I can't stand that woman. She came down to see the boys. I bet she did. That woman gets right up my nose. She's always going on about her boys. Remember she sat here one day and talked for a solid hour about their MVQ Level 3 awards and how good they were at music as well as fishing and how much money they could be making if they hadn't decided to give Jesus a hand. Give Jesus a hand. Did you hear her? That woman's insufferable. Okay, calm down. She's travelled down to Jericho. Does that mean she's on her way here? Because if she sings... Mary Coolett, if she turns up, we'll find a bed and breakfast for her somewhere. She doesn't have to stay here. She's right, she's not staying here. I think, Mary, you need to try and walk it, but you're not doing yourself any favors <laughs> getting that worked up about her. If Jesus puts up with her, you'll have to as well. Anyway, the boys are just as bad as their mother at times. What happened? Let's hear what happened as we read Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 to 28. Then the mother of Zebedee's sons came to Jesus with her sons and, kneeling down, asked a favour of him. What is it you want? he asked. She said, Grant that one of these two sons may sit at your right and the other at your left in your kingdom. You don't know what you are asking, Jesus said to them. Can you drink the cup I am going to drink? We can, they answered. Jesus said to them, You will indeed drink from my cup, but a sit at my right or my left is not for me to grant. These places belong to those for whom they have been prepared by my Father. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. There's that idea of serving one another as a sign of greatness again. Jesus does make rather a lot of that. Yes, and there was a really interesting thing that happened on the way out of Jericho. I'm going to read the next section, Matthew chapter 20, verses 29 to 34. As Jesus and his disciples were leaving Jericho, a large crowd followed him. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard that Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet, but they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you, he asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. Jesus had compassion on them and touched their eyes. Immediately they received their sight. It was as if the trip started with the Pharisees who can't see any good in people in Jesus or see what he's getting at and ended with two blind men who see his greatness and see what he's about. 
in week of tomorrow. Nice guys, a bit rough and ready, but boy are they big supporters of Jesus. What's the plan for the Passover this year? I take it Jesus is staying here in the evenings. Yep, that's the plan. It'll be great to see him again. He's such a decent company and I love his sense of humor. I have to say there's something about this visit though. He made a couple of comments that made left me uneasy. What do you mean? Listen to Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 to 19. Now as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the twelve disciples aside and said to them, We are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be betrayed to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will turn him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life again. Now is a good time to listen again to what I read earlier. Matthew chapter 20, verses 24 to 27. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You don't think he's serious about being put to death, do you? It isn't the kind of thing he would joke about, and he hasn't been wrong about anything I've heard him talk about before. It's left me very unsettled and a bit anxious. And did he really say that bit about being raised to life on the third day? Yeah. I don't like the sound of it, but I can't help remembering something he said the time you died. What was that? He said, I'm the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies, and whoever lives and believes in me will never die. I believe he's the Christ, and I believe he is the resurrection and the life, but I never thought of him dying and rising again. No, he can't mean that. Probably not, but what does he mean? Young people have helped us in a number of ways this morning. There are three things that I want to say very briefly arising from the way in which they have presented to us Matthew 19 and 20. The first thing is they have helped us understand how this distinct section of Matthew's gospel hangs together. The blindness of the Pharisees at the beginning of the travel narrative is contrasted with the sight of the blind men as they make their way from Jericho to Jerusalem. The challenge, therefore, is do we see what Matthew is getting at? The Pharisees could not see who Jesus was. The blind men could. Do we see Jesus as the son of David? That term implies more than simply blood lineage. That term implies seeing Jesus as the son of David, the Messiah, the Christ, the Savior of the world. And the challenge from this text is a challenge to all of us as to whether that is how we see and understand Jesus Christ. That's a challenge that you and I have to face and address. That's why we need to become Christians. Because Jesus is the Son of God, the Savior of the world. And we need to put our full hope, trust and confidence in him. Otherwise, we are like the Pharisees. 
we will not have seen anything and we will go away as blind as when we arrived. The second thing they've helped to see is how the theme of the kingdom is developed in this section and is so central to Jesus' ministry. Do we hear what Matthew is saying? I'm not about to write a book or preach a sermon on the lost message of Matthew. But, for example, we read the opening of Matthew 19 very often as the New Testament record of Jesus' teaching on divorce. But is it? It's the Pharisees who want to talk about divorce, not Jesus. They raise divorce as a red herring, a way to try and trip Jesus up. Jesus deals with them and the issues about divorce. But he wants to talk about the extent of sacrifice some will make for the kingdom of heaven. Some will make great sacrifices for the kingdom, including in his day and culture, remaining unmarried. Are you and I prepared to make sacrifices for the kingdom? Sacrifices in relationships, in time, in money, in preferences? Do we hear the challenge of the kingdom of heaven? And did we hear the promise and the warning? The promise that anything you or I sacrifice now will be made up 100 fold in the kingdom of God. But remember, making sacrifices won't put you number one in the kingdom. For the first shall be last, and the last shall be first. Thirdly, I think they've helped us see and understand how everything about Jesus' ministry is set in the context of relationships. Okay, so we've taken a little liberty with Lazarus and put him in the picture. We at least know that that's where Jesus was going to stay Because if you read John chapter 12, you'll find the account of how Jesus spent the nights in Bethany during that uh, important week when he was in Jerusalem for Passover. But everything about Jesus' ministry is set in the context of relationships. Sometimes there's conflict, like with the Pharisees. Sometimes disappointment, like with the rich young man. Sometimes misunderstanding, as with James and John. Sometimes friction like between James and John and the rest of the disciples. Sometimes great joy, like Mary and Martha's joy when Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead, or the blind men who received their sight and became great followers of Jesus, or the children and their mothers who thought they were being turned away. Jesus doesn't teach abstract ideas in isolation. It's all taught And lived in relationships. It's not possible to believe as a Christian. And did not show in relationships. I don't mean that every relationship for every Christian will be perfect. But being a Christian means that what we believe gets put into practice in relationships. Whether ultimately what we seek to achieve turns out well. Or as it happens sometimes falls apart. The way the young people have helped us think about Matthew 19 and 20 this morning does, I think, challenge us about what we see, about what we hear, and about how we choose to live. My thanks to them.
If you reflect on what you have heard and what you have read this morning, it will not have escaped your attention that on a number of occasions the Lord's death comes in view. And in chapter 20 at verse 26, it says this, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And that's where we want to focus our thinking for the next few moments as we come to the Lord's table. And we're going to stand and sing together a very fitting song, I believe. From heaven you came, helpless babe, entered our world your glory veiled, not to be served, but to serve. And give your life that we might live. Let's stand as we sing this together. And perhaps those who are serving at the table would come forward at the singing of the last, the last verse, please. <clears throat> Yeah. 